salvation. And this is going to be a very multi-layered message because we're going to recap our recent history. We're going to look at this idea of opposition in the Scripture. This is something that I've been studying for for several months and uh, all is ultimately going to be something I'm going to continue to study in the future. I'm nowhere near done with this, but uh, I'm going to share a little bit of it. And then I'm even going to address Halloween and Christmas. So buckle up, we're going to have a great time today. But Restoration Church, for those of you maybe that are newer, Restoration Church was founded in 1933 by a single woman by the name of Norma Olson. She moved here. Uh, there were other groups that had tried to start an Assemblies of God or a Pentecostal work in the city of Huron and had failed, um, some as early as 1929. But in 1933, when Norma um, came, she started north, uh, north up by Taco John's in that area. And they, they rented a building. They started a work. Um, they moved from there to the, a secondhand uh, furniture store that actually is right across from City Hall. If you know where City Hall is, the old Bucky's restaurant, they met in the back of that, um, had a great time in the downtown area, lots of healings, uh, lots of miracles that took place. Uh, God moved uh, incredibly in, in the time that they were down there. Um, and then they purchased property on Ohio Avenue, 360 Ohio Avenue Southwest, which is the now Core Kinetics Dance Studio. From there, they moved to Lincoln, and today we're right here. So there, there's a history of the church. In 1933, they were incorporated in 1943. But in November, next month, Restoration Church is going to celebrate their 90th birthday. We are 90 years old. Um, yeah, and we... We, as board, we've talked about, um, we wanted to do something to celebrate that, and we will, um, but with the vote and so many things up in the air, we are going to do that in the spring, um, because we're going to talk, um, we're going to talk about the past, but we're also going to launch into the future, and so we want a little bit of time to maybe get our legs under us and find out what that looks like before you, you know, tell the world, and so... Uh, I came in 1998. I joined Restoration Church as a youth pastor. Steve Cuno was our lead pastor at the time, and he left at the end of 1999. Now, Steve, Lynette, and uh, my family, we loved each other. We were very close to them. Uh, when they left here, they actually invited us to come to Spring Valley, Minnesota, where he pastored for 25 years um, as their youth pastor. And we, we prayed about it, but we really felt like God wanted us to wait here. Uh, we wanted to work with the new pastor. We wanted to not just uproot our family after 18 months, um, even though our family was just me, Christy, and Kedrick at the time. But we, we thought we would wait and see who the new pastor was. Well, lo and behold, it became me. Um, so in June, June of 2000, uh, and I felt like th th this church had a history of, of difficulty, uh, lots of seasons of, of just rough times. Um, and I felt like they just needed a seasoned pastor to come in and maybe settle the ship. But Dave Timms, who ironically I just bumped into at the State Cross Country Meet last weekend, um, God love him, sewed into my life. He sat with me across the table and he said, I don't think they need a seasoned pastor. He said, I think they just need a young pastor that's willing to grow with them. Um, and so for the first time, I actually prayed into whether or not I should do it. Um, I was all of 22 years old, wondering what I was going to get myself into. Um, but the church, all but one person voted in favor of me taking uh, the position of pastor. But the one actually came to me later and confessed, I think I've told this story before, that he only voted no because he didn't want me to get hurt like all the other guys. Um, and so it was a unanimous decision for us to, to stay on as pastors here. So 
We've been privileged to be in Huron for 25 and a half years, to serve as the lead pastor for 23 and a half years. And early on, our vision was, hey, have a good church, have some good worship services, tell people about Jesus, and grow. I mean, that sounded like a good vision. Well, if you know the ins and outs of churches, like sometimes people move in and out of a church, they get mad at their church, and they go to another church. And so we saw growth, but most of it was they got mad at their church and they came to our church. Well, lo and behold, those people that got mad and left and came to our church got mad here and left here too. Um, it's just a cycle. They, that's, this is what we do. Um, and so around 2011, the Assemblies of God launched something called Acts 2. So I actually put this on a timeline um, that you can kind of follow along a little bit. They launched something called Acts 2, which was a leadership development, vision casting um, movement for, the, for churches. So our leadership team became a part of it. We went to retreats in Sioux Falls. Um, they, they talked about like church growth and board growth, and we prayed together, and we tried to discover what God's vision was for our church. Um, And so we came up with God's vision for our church was to encounter God, connect with people, and make a difference. Remember those big banners? Encounter God, connect with people, make a difference. But it seemed like vision was always like a God element, a church element, and a world element. And so it was always like, is that really the vision? Like, what is God's vision? So in 2012, I went to Israel That opened my eyes to an understanding of the Scripture that I'd never had before. And so for three or four years, we really went through Acts 2 and vision and looking at the Scriptures and what's the story God's telling um, through the the Scriptures and how does that apply to our lives right now. And we made some changes. We changed service structure. We changed organizational structure. We painted walls. We bought different furniture. We put up a big pallet wall. Remember our big pallet wall that we put up? We did all of these different things, and this was all a part of it. Um, It just didn't seem like anything was really like catching on like yeah that's our vision so in 2015 um something started to shift that was a very difficult year for me on a lot of levels um in october of 2015 john and heather mullen lost their their baby boy judah um that was that was just a difficult time for them for me um to walk through it with them um and to see them suffer the way they did um that was just a difficult journey and at the same time Kedrick was diagnosed with high blood pressure, so we were seeing a specialist in Sioux Falls trying to figure out why he has high blood pressure, uh, what's going on with him. Uh, I had to fire a staff pastor at that time, which made a lot of people angry, and a lot of people left our church. So 2015 was really just a, a tough year, and we came out of that into 2016, and I got a call from a friend that said, hey, there's this thing called Water Tower. There's a church in Texas called North Place Church, and what they do is they want to value rural pastors. They have a vision to bless and to resource and to just honor and celebrate pastors who, who pastor small towns in rural America because that's, that's the heart of God. Um, you know, in the Assemblies of God, we celebrate missionaries, and I love that we do. Uh, you know, a, a guy can give his life in Africa and maybe see one soul, but he's, you know, given everything and he's planted a church, and we celebrate that. But a guy could pastor in a small town in North Dakota for all of his life, and we don't really celebrate that. And we think that, you know, they just couldn't get a bigger church or that, you know, they, uh, but that there needs to be a shift. Um, Because people have to see going to a small town in rural America is just as vital as going to a small town in in Africa and serving as a missionary. 
And so John and I joined. Unbeknownst to us, <laughs> associate pastors weren't supposed to join. Um, so we were going to Rapid City, and we were meeting with a bunch of different pastors, and they would bring in a team from, from Texas, and they would just teach us some things and pray for us and bless us. They gave us lots of resources. They helped us. Um, they, they have sent missions teams to churches. To the, In fact, we, I have a phone call this week with their pastor asking them to send a missions team to help us with our new building. Um, this is what they do. They, they love rural America, and so they want to resource and help. Um, and so John and I went through that together. They, they don't allow associates because they're afraid senior pastors can't be honest in a room if their associate is present. But once they met John and I, they knew there weren't any secrets. And so uh, they allowed him to stay. And uh, I will tell you what, um, whew, he was so beneficial for me in that season. Uh, both of us had just walked through so many difficulties and being able to drive back and forth to Rapid City and just process and talk. Um, I had a lot of things in my heart, but it was really hard for me to articulate or to put feet to it. Um, John was a huge part of bringing vision out to, to, to people. Um, the name change to Restoration Church, the church logo being a table, um, Jeremiah 29.7, working for the peace and prosperity of our, our city, all of that came out of John. Um, now, it came because we conversed, and he thought he was taking what was in my heart and representing it to me. Um, and at first, there were times I thought he was crazy, like the whole table thing. I had friends that were like, what are you, uh, you're going to serve meals? Like, what, you know, what, what's the point? And, and they weren't wrong, and opposition is good. Mm -hmm, we're going to talk about that. But out of all those conversations, so I, I'm grateful for his partnership and all of that, but we, we went through something that was so significant that we wanted to take it and repackage it for our leaders here. So in 2017, we started something called Contenders. And what we did was the same thing. We had a weekend event every quarter, just like we had done, and we wanted to value our leaders and just encourage them to help them speak into the vision and the change. And to, to do vision in a very intentional and purposeful way. And out of Contenders is what all that you see happening today came from. So we started talking about the name change and the location change and even just our total concept of church change. And on September the 5th, 2018, we voted to change the name of Restoration Church. It was here on First Assembly of God. We became Restoration Church and we agreed to sell the property. 2018, September 5th. On October the 11th, 2020, two years of just talking about it. That was a long two years. We changed the logo to a table. And we've talked about the table a lot. The table is not about just meals. It's about being united beyond agreement and doctrine and programs and buildings. It's about not settling for just a, a, a surface-level connection. Churches in the West, we, you know, if we, we joke about splitting over the color of carpet, um, we joke about it, but it happens way too often. We're not being held together by the, the bond of Christ, the table of the Lord, you know, where we come together and have his body and his blood and we, we know we're united. And so when opposition comes, it divides us. And we want to be a church that gets united and actually celebrates and welcomes opposition. Not conflict. Opposition. 
And we're going to talk about that difference. And so that's what the table represents. Maybe we'll talk about that more in the future. On November the 22nd of 2020, so how many years are we now? Two years later, we agreed finally to sell 920 Lincoln Avenue to the Corinne Church, the Corinne Baptist Church. So I know that during all of those conversations over that two years, there were many people that said they didn't understand why we had to sell the building, that we could do all of the vision for downtown without ever leaving. And I, I then, and I still today think that that's really not true. Um, you can notice things from far away, but in order to see it, you have to have proximity. In other words, you have to get up close. Like you can know like there's a need for missions around the world and you can notice that need and you can even respond, but there's something that happens when you go on a trip and you're on the soil and you're smelling the smells and you're seeing the thing. You, like a, a different level of seeing happens. Um, and so we needed to, to be downtown. And so the funny thing is, uh, most of you may not know this, but when we, when we signed and we sold the building to the Corinth Church, um, we were going to rent the Fine Arts Center for services. We knew all along this is where we would meet. But we were going to rent the mattress store downtown, where all those mattresses are on the corner right across from the post office. That was going to be our office location. Um, so we were leaving thinking, okay, we're going to have to rent a storage unit. Okay, God, uh, this is crazy, but this is what we're going to do. We don't know where we're going. Um, after we agreed to sell, Pastor John was doing a photo shoot for Gordon Wallman at Cornerstone uh, Financial Services, and Gordon was talking to him about our church and what we were doing and steps of faith and where are you going to meet. And John told him about the, the, the mattress store and like how it wasn't what we really needed, but uh, we were just trusting God to provide. Well, thankfully, Gordon helped the Lord provide. Um, and he gave us that office space at a reasonable rate that made it um, something we could use. Uh, we have loved that. In fact, uh, I wrote in my schedule this week, write a thank you to Gordon. Remind yourself. Um, because he was a huge part of believing in us and giving us a space to be. Uh, and it's helped us through that. So on January 17th, 2021, we had our first service here at the Fine Arts Center. And uh, it was great. I mean, we, God was moving. We felt like we'd stepped out in faith. And come July of that year, uh, I began to say, God, what is going on? Like, are we going to be like this forever? This is so bizarre. Like, we're renting. It's frustrating. People are frustrated. And praise the Lord, we got a closet here. And that changed a lot. Amen? Remember those of you that used to meet us downtown and load all that up and drive it all over here? Whoo! Praise God for the closet. Um, so, but the Lord during a house of prayer said, you're here, do what you came to do. Stop waiting for the, a building. Stop waiting for like the next step. Just do it. So the trunk or treat was born. Um, didn't know what to expect. The first community trunk or treat was on October 31st, 2021. Well, 1,500 kids showed up. Um, and the community loved it. The businesses, the police officers, everyone that was there said, hey, thanks for doing this. Thanks for putting it on. And I promise you, there wasn't a lot of work on me. Like this thing just went. Like when we started asking people for help, people just did it in the community. Not even just our church people. I mean, you guys helped too. But it was like, it was like people want, in our community want to do stuff together. And so on November the 1st, 2021, 
the, the Plainsman ran a front page article about uh, all these pictures, trunk or treat, trunk or treat, hosted by Restoration Church, community trunk or treat, blah, blah, blah. Um, the significances of that is three years earlier, October the 23rd of 2018, the front page of the Daily Plainsman said, City denies variance requests for church. Ouch. Just what you want on the front page of the paper. And you know how many people were like, hey, so what happened there? Like, so what are you going to do? Not like in a negative way, but it just felt like if one more person asks me, I'm going to explode. God, what do I tell them? And then what do you do? What do you, because during the, the, all of those conversations, people were like, well, Pastor Tom, you just keep re-voting until things go your, your way. And you just keep pushing forward even when the doors are closed. And, and you're right. It looks like that. You have to wrestle with it. Am I, am I just being stubborn? Because I am. But sometimes faith and stubborn look the same. And so how do you know when to keep working and how do you know when to walk away? I don't know. But you do have to wrestle with it. So we just kept doing our thing. We were at the downtown office. I was wrestling with, you know, is this just my preference or is this what's best for the church? But I I promise you, relationships have formed. People have taken notice. We're doing what we've set out to do. We have. In 2012, we, when we were doing the Acts 2, one of the questions they wanted us to wrestle with was, if your church ceased to exist, would anyone in your community notice? And in 2012, if you remember Scott Holzimer, he was on our board at the time, and he, he, I remember him saying, no, no one would notice if we ceased to exist. And he wasn't wrong. Because most of what we did was just us. I mean, we invited people to come and do us, but we weren't really doing much for them. And after all, that's what we're called to do. So this isn't just about a building. This is about a total shift of culture that we're, we're still trying to do. There's still steps that we need to take. I'll tell you today, I think people would notice. I think in 11 years, we're starting to accomplish what we've set out to do. It's just been a long time. So in May of 2023, this year, the 304 building came back on the market. This was a building that John and I actually looked at. It was the first building downtown him and I ever looked at. We loved it, thought it would be the best building possible. But the current parking um, laws from the city made that building impossible. Those laws have since changed, and it made it possible for us now to look at that. So we walked through it. I walked through it with Kendra. We came out of the building, and I looked at her and said, there's no way we're doing that. (laughs) And that was it. Uh, There's no way we're doing that. Well, later that day, the Lord started saying, "Take take another look. And over the course of a couple of weeks, um, three different people in my life had conversations with me, not about the building, but God used those conversations. One of them being Brad Walls. Um, Brad Walls, he was here for his mom's funeral in the, the morning of the service, said, hey, I don't want to tell you what to do, but I think you should take another look. He said, I think you should just shoot them a lowball offer and see what God does. He's like, I- I'm not telling you what to do. But he's like, I did a prayer walk down there. And he's like, I talked to some people that were downtown. Yeah, pop. And, and some, and some <laughs> it's the only thing open at night unless he went in the bar. Um, and so he's like, but I think you should try. He's like, and if the door closes, then walk away. One of the things we've talked about often is that we need to think like a missionary. 
One of our friends in, in Huron actually were missionaries in Belgium for a number of years. And the first time they walked in that downtown office, she said, wow, this looks like a church in Belgium. These things happen and they stick in my head because it's like a little confirmation. Think like a missionary. Maybe we are. Maybe we're not thinking like the normal Western American church, but we are thinking like missionaries. What does our city need and what can we do to help? So long story short, in July, we put in an offer, a lowball offer, and it was accepted. Um, I instantly went into panic mode because it was like the week before Royal Family Kids Camp. And my schedule ahead looked unbelievable. There was no way this could happen. Like, I, I, we, Royal Family Kids Camp, in fact, I had to start the variance, leave it with our, our realtor, Phelan Stahl, and he had to finish it while I was at Royal Family Kids Camp because it had to be in Monday in order to get on the ballot for the August meeting. Um, and we had to do it in August if we were going to keep the... the the, the process, the, the purchase agreement we had made with the bank. So, um, man, it, it just took off. But we came back from Royal Family Kids Camp. I had a week before we went to general counsel. I was at general counsel taking phone calls with city commissioners. Um, but there was such a grace in this season. I was never fully overwhelmed. There were moments of panic. Um, but I was never fully overwhelmed. And it just it seemed like the Lord kept doing things. One of the most impactful services that I went to a general council, the last point the guy made was think like a missionary. I'm like, okay, we're going to think like a missionary. But I also started my master's this fall because the Lord told me to, I think. Um, and I was taking two classes, doing cross country, working at school part-time, I don't know, when I look back over the last three months, I don't know how we got here today except by the grace of God. So when I say thank you for praying, I'll tell you there were just ways that things fit together so easily. It looks like I did a lot, but I promise you I didn't do it alone. Okay, there were just ways that the Lord made it so much easier. But after we, we made the vote last week, I'll promise you there's still times I'm like, am I crazy? And I feel the pressure of the crazy because we're going to walk into something that's, that's crazy. But here's what I know. Nothing significant for the kingdom has ever happened without someone doing something crazy. Does that mean that this is the kingdom? <laughs> I don't know. I, I know this. I love the city. In fact, people, um, someone actually during those family meetings was like, this isn't New York City. Like downtown is dead. And they weren't wrong. In 2018, downtown was dead. But I'll tell you, I've never felt more alive working for the peace and prosperity of our city downtown. And I don't know why. Sometimes I wondered, Lord, why am I in South Dakota? Like, did you get something wrong? But maybe I'm here for such a time as this. Just maybe. Just maybe. There have been so many confirmations. Um, I picked up a book at General Counsel. And it's written by our general treasurer. His name is Choco de Jesus. He pastored, he grew up in inner city Chicago. He pastored in, in Chicago for a number of years. And now he's our general treasurer of the Assemblies of God. And I picked up his book. But I, was, I started my master's, so reading uh, non-textbooks, just off the table. Like, there's just no time for that. But I had to mow my lawn Friday. Praise God that it didn't snow Friday. 
Um, but I could see my breath when I was mowing my lawn. In fact, I had to take my lawnmower into the garage next to a space heater just to get the thing to start. Um, but praise God, it started so I could get leaves picked up and mow the lawn one final time. Um, and so I, I started listening to his book. Um, this happens to me quite often, but I, and if you would have driven by my house, there were tears going down my cheeks as I was listening to his message. The way he articulates some things in my heart, and I want to share a couple quotes with you, and then I want to share a scripture verse, and then we're going to be done. So here's what he wrote. It, I can't, this articulates so well the vision of Restoration Church. Listen to this. The vast majority of the love we experience is conditional. We love somebody because the person has some admirable traits, makes us feel good, or enhances our reputation in some way. I'm not sure I've ever heard a popular song about love that wasn't about this kind of affection or fondness. This type of love is attractive and even intoxicating because no matter how much love you get, you're always afraid it won't last or be enough. The other kind of love is the exact opposite. We love someone in spite of his or her flaws, in spite of how that person makes us feel. You love even when your relationship with that person causes others to question your sanity and even tarnish your reputation. That's the kind of love Jesus had and has both for those who are blatant sinners and for the better-than-you-nose-in-the-air church people. He's not saying all church people are that way, just some. Because of love produces comparison, worry, fear, because this type of love can easily be lost. But in spite of love, isn't shaken by disagreements, flaws, and struggles. This is the sacrificial love that puts a lump in your throat when you hear about soldiers who suffer and die for each other. This, isn't, this is the it's about you and not about me kind of love when you take time to listen to people who hold convictions and practice lifestyles that are different from yours. This kind of love is stunning. Because it's seldom seen these days. But when it's real, it's contagious. In spite of love, breaks through defenses and destroys walls that divide us. It's costly. It requires time and humility. At least for a while, it's very uncomfortable, but it's worth it. Genuine love pulls you toward people you used to avoid, and it pushes you beyond your previous boundaries. Love like this asks more from you than you've ever given. It's inconvenient, and it's not safe. In spite of love is beautiful, and it changes lives, yours and others. All of us have individuals and classes of people we may tolerate, but we don't truly love. If we're honest, we may have to admit we genuinely despise certain people. Love is the answer. But only if we admit our resistance Fill the holes in our hearts with God's in spite of love and choose to love them anyway. I think for the church, there is a better way forward. It is a form of insanity for the church to continue to do what it's always done and expect different results. We continue to use weapons of the world to try to win battles in the spiritual world. The, the weapon of love, not phileo love, agape, supernatural, God-given love that only comes from Him is the most powerful weapon in the universe. Yeah. 
He goes on. He's not even done. Let me tell you about a group of believers. They saw that their culture was crumbling around them. Unbelievers were taking their rights away. They were angry. They gathered together to complain about their conditions, but they felt demoralized and worried about the future. They wanted to fight back, but also wanted God to provide a quick solution to their problems. They believed they had a a right for God to come through for them and soon. No, I'm not talking about modern America. I'm referring to the conquered Jews living in Babylon in the 6th century before Christ. Jerusalem had been destroyed by the Babylonian army. Many of the people had been led into exile. The Babylonians were powerful and brutal. God's people were angry and confused. How could God let this happen? Where was He? When was He going to make this all right? In the middle of their complaints, some of their prophets showed up, and they promised God was going to get them out of there in a very short time. Only two years. So they didn't have to figure out how to live as exiles. I'll just pause and say, read the book of Jeremiah, and compare it to modern-day America, there's a whole lot of similarities. Just saying. But those prophets weren't speaking for God. Only the prophet Jeremiah was. God gave him a message to refute the false prophets. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to their dreams or that they encourage that you encourage them to have. They're prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them. Jeremiah 29, 8 and 9. He gave the people instructions that must have startled them. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry, have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and daughters, increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Now, I wish I could tell you this is the only book that's ever like spoken to me at just the right time, in just the right moment, when I'm asking just the right questions. But this happens to me all the time. People give me a book. People say, hey, read this. And I wait for six months. And then when I pick it up, boom, it's answering a question I have. When I read that, I let out a little shout with my lawnmower. I don't know what my neighbors thought, but I was pretty pumped. God made several key points. He goes on. The first being this, don't expect to be out of here anytime soon. If they had one foot out the door in Babylon, they wouldn't be involved in living to the fullest. Instead of hating the Babylonians and despising everything about them, God told them to seek the peace and prosperity of the city because if it prospers, you too will prosper. God certainly did not want his people to worship Babylonian gods. So they had to walk a line between engagement and separation. They had to be wise in their relationships, strong in their faith, persistent in their work, and hopeful that God would fulfill His promise. We cannot be a church with one foot in this world and one foot in heaven just praying, Oh God, come rescue us. Now if you are longing to see Him face to face, that's one thing. But if you're just tired of working hard for the kingdom and you're just looking for an escape, you don't have the heart of the Father because He's God a purpose. He's got a plan. He's not just going to destroy this world. He's going to bring a new heaven and a new earth here. 
And we should be about the Father's business. If you're tired, ask for strength. Say, strengthen my arms. I'm tired, Lord. You don't have to hide it. You don't have to do it in your own strength. You need to say, Father, I need a new baptism of love because I'm a little cranky today. Because I'm a little despising of my enemies. I need you to fill me with your love so that I'm willing to go to the cross the same way you did. I believe, last part, this is precisely God's word to us today. The Bible says we're exiles in a foreign land, but many Christians think and act like we're the bosses and the culture should bow to us. Only false prophets teach this misguided notion. Hmm, General Treasurer, you're going to get in trouble. The truth is that we're aliens, but even more, we're ambassadors who represent our king in a foreign land. To do our job well, we must speak the language of our new country, but realize we're citizens of heaven. If we see ourselves as victims of our culture, our circle will be small, and we'll see a lot of people as an unsafe them. Now, I'm going to promise you, where we're going we're going to get accused of approving of people's behavior because we're trying to show love and value to them. I'm not going to say those people are wrong. And we're going to need those people to say, hey, you're just, show, you're, just, you're just compromising because that opposition is going to keep us where we need to be. You don't have to worry about when people talk about us and say, oh, Pastor Tom, that church, they're just a compromising church. That church is... Ser- Just make sure they're not right. That's what you do. Opposition is necessary. Sometimes opposition comes at the word of the Lord. When David was leaving the throne, remember the guy throwing rocks at him? And Abishai's like, Joab's like, can I just run him through with a sword? He's like, who knows? Maybe the Lord sent him. Don't just push away your opposition. Listen to it through the lens of the word. Okay, hear it. Because we need opposition to strengthen us. When we get into these places of what do we do with denial? Like what do we do when our variance gets denied? Do we stop or do we try again? Do we walk away? When is it persistence? When is it rebellion? When is it like when is it something that we should keep trying to do? There's not easy answers to that. There's not like a textbook that says, yes, this is God, no, this is... In fact, Choco bought a farm for prostitutes three hours outside of Chicago. When he walked the farm, he said, this is the word of the Lord, this is the farm we're supposed to buy. And when I read that, I'm like, how did you know? Because people are like, is 304 the word of the Lord? I don't know! I think maybe so. But it's so hard to just say, yes, absolutely, thus saith the Lord. And when I say, thus saith the Lord, I want to make sure it's the Lord. Now, this isn't just for our church. This is for your family. Because you're going to have opposition at home. And opposition, conflict is bad. Opposition is not. You're going to have opposition at work. You're going to have opposition in your community. We're going to have opposition in our nation. Opposition is okay. Because here's the thing. There are people that voted no. What do, what do we... Or, so who's right and who's wrong? Well, you nice Westerners want to know, don't you? But there's not always a right and wrong. We like to get rid of the tension. We don't like tension. When there's two opposing views, we're like, well, somebody's got to be right and somebody's got to be wrong. Or I am grateful to people who voted no. I am grateful because it's the type of opposition that's going to make sure we stay on the right path. 
Opposition is not bad. I mean, sometime, you remember when we voted before and I changed my vote because I felt like the Lord told me to and that caused a little bit of a stir? Yeah. Sometimes the Lord says no to some and yes to others. Why? Oh, opposition. Let's go to the book of Genesis. We're going to go to the book of Genesis. You know, like James chapter 1, consider joy when you face trials, blah, blah, blah. You know, per- perseverance. Romans chapter 5, we talked about these last week. Suffering is good, it produces perseverance. But I want to go to Genesis chapter 2. Because I believe opposition was ordained by God from the beginning. The beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, he created them male and female. In the image of God, he created them male and female. That should be our litmus test for the rest of the book, by the way. If God starts with male and female in the image of God, then everything else has to fall in line with that. And if you've got something that seems way out there, you've got to figure out how to get it down here. And I promise you, you don't have to do gymnastics. You just have to study. You have to know the culture. You have to know the language. You have to read. Because otherwise, you're going to think all the time that women are inferior to men. Can I tell you, the Bible does not teach that women are inferior to men. Our church was founded by a single woman. And 90 years later, here we are. I wouldn't call that inferior. I would call that pretty good. She succeeded where others failed. How would God bless that if he said no? Let's just keep going. So Genesis chapter 2 comes along. And the Lord God said in verse 18, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make a companion for him who corresponds to him. This is from the New English translation. Translations, read them all. They don't know what to do with this because it's impossible to take the Hebrew and what it says and put it in an English word that we understand. Like you're going to have to write 17 lines to come up with what one Hebrew word is trying to accomplish. Okay? So the Lord caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was asleep, he took part of the man's side, not a rib, a side, and he closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from that part he had taken out of the man, and he brought it to the man. The man said, this is at last bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. This is woman, for she was taken out of man. Can I tell you, this passage is not about companionship. That's a part of it. It's not all of it. The word helper, the word companion, it does not imply subordination. The word helper, the same word for helper that is used in Genesis chapter 2 is used of God all the time in the Psalms. God is Israel's helper. Is God insubordinate to is he is God subordinate to Israel? Is he lesser than Israel? No. It's a helper. But I know through our lens, when we read helper, we think Adam's in charge, Eve is the helper. Not what's being conveyed here. If you look even further, the man, the Hebrew word for man is ish. And the Hebrew word for woman is isha. The isha was taken from the ish. Isha from the ish. There's something poetic happening here. And then we're told this helpmate, or as the NET says, the companion who corresponds to him. I love that translation. The word ezer means help, and the word negdo means against or opposition. So the woman, literally, is the help that opposes. 
Huh? And the way we read it in our cultural mind, men are like, Amen. It's not conflict. Opposition is not conflict. Because the Scripture says, men, don't, don't, if you don't treat your wives with honor and respect, God doesn't hear your prayers. Women, don't be nagging. I, it talks to both of us. You've got to do opposition the right way. And before the fall, opposition was better. After the fall, it gets kind of ugly sometimes. But opposition is good. Rabbis talk about two planks being put together. Why do I keep doing this? I did this at general council all the time. I told Kendrick, I'm going to put this in his wedding. The woman is the one who opposes. Because I was telling everyone about it at general council. He's like, you need to stop doing that. Like, but it's true because rabbis say that you take two, two two-by-fours and you put them together like this. Okay? And if you take one away, the other one falls. You need the opposition to keep them both up. So humans were created to have opposition. Why? Because you, you don't see fully if you don't see all sides. It is not good for man to be alone. So anytime you have a room full of men or a room full of women, the advice is only half as good. So ladies, when you get your advice from all your friends, find some men. You need it. Men, if you get around all of your other men friends, you know you need to ask your wife. And she's probably going to be smarter than all of them. I think he took the right part of the brain, too, for the, the woman. But I'm not, not exactly sure on that one. But we, we have to understand, opposition has to be rethought. When churches have opposition, people end up leaving or they end up fighting. We've got to find a way to view opposition as different than conflict. You're going to find this throughout the Scripture, all over the place. Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. Love this verse, don't you? I mean, do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you yourself be like him. Answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own opinion. Good talk, Solomon. Could you just get rid of that tension for us and tell me what to do? Right now, the hot topic, I know we're, we're close on time. For pastor appreciation, give me three minutes, five minutes. No more than five. The hot topic is Halloween. Do we celebrate Halloween? Because whenever there's these disputable matters in the church, alcohol is another one of them, everybody always thinks they have the right opinion. I mean, you, I've got the right Greek word, the right Hebrew word. I massage it just enough. I know what's right. The bottom line is there's disputable matters. No doubt Halloween is steeped in death, graveyard, spirits, dark, yeah, throughout its history. However, the church responded to it by taking All Saints Day and moving it to November 1st and coming together on October 31st, All Hallows' Eve, to pray for the saints, the church, the people that have gone before, either those saints who are dead and the saints who are still alive, and they tried to redeem the holiday. How did they do? I, I don't know how they did. Why do we do this? But here's the thing. They did it with Christmas too. So much of Christmas is, is steeped in like pagan idolatry from the Roman Empire. Like the, the church under Constantine loved the winter solstice celebration, so they just brought some of it into Christianity and just changed it. Made it about Jesus. He wasn't born on December 25th, people. And so some Christians will not do anything with Christmas. 
And they, they're not wrong. They're not wrong. Satan claws, yep, they're not wrong. Okay, does that mean that none of us should have anything to do with Christmas? Well, no. Well, Pastor Tom, it's, you're not telling us what to do. I know because I'm not the Holy Spirit. And I know that there are great people on both sides of every one of those debates. And so I read an article this week. I loved it. He said, when it comes to Halloween, here's three pieces of advice. Don't be a Pharisee, where you think your views are the only view. Don't be a pagan, where you think everything goes. And don't be a prude. In other words, don't hide in your basement from the five-year-old neighbor that's dressed up like a cowboy. Open your door and give him candy. That was some great advice, I thought. Some people are going to like it. If you don't want to be home because you don't want to host trick-or-treaters, then don't be home. But don't cast people into hell because they're giving into the satanic influence of our culture. I don't think the right question is, can I celebrate Halloween? Can I celebrate Christmas? I think the right question is, how do I approach this holiday in a way that brings the, the honor and glory to the Lord? Is there a way to redeem it? I mean, the way we approach the 4th of July should be considered. I mean, it's all of these things. What I hope you've done, I've been able to do today is to get you to rethink opposition. To think of it in terms of not always a right or wrong. And sometimes, because sometimes people who say no to something feel like they missed it. You might have heard from the Lord and He might have told you to say no. It's possible because I believe he's put it in his word for a reason. I don't know all those reasons, but I don't want you to, to walk over these next few months thinking like one of us missed it. I don't think any of us missed it. We're in this thing together. I know there's some concern that, well, what if, what if there's a parking issue? What if, like the handicapped people, what about the elderly? Can I tell you something? In the early church, they came to the apostles and they said, hey, some of our widows are being neglected. So you know what the apostles did? They figured it out. And if your needs get neglected, come and tell us because we'll figure it out. We're not going to leave anybody behind. We're all in this together. I think the best days of Restoration Church are in front of us. I think there's a stirring happening in the Spirit that I, I can't even tell you about, and I don't have time to tell you about right now. But in the weeks ahead, we'll talk about it more. I think something is going to be huge. But does that mean we're not going to have to work hard? No, we're going to have to work hard. Does that mean we're not going to have setbacks? No, we're probably going to have setbacks. Is there going to be days where you think I'm crazy and I think you're crazy? Yep. There's going to be lots of those days, especially on your end to me. But let's stay together. And if you have an opposing voice, voice it. Because we need to hear it. Because it might be what keeps us where we need to go and keeps us from going to one extreme or the other. We want to be a church that welcomes opposition. We don't welcome conflict. But we love opposition. That's a weird sermon, isn't it? Amen. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this group of people that are just as crazy as I am. God, I am so grateful for our leadership team, for those that have gone before us. God, for those that are sitting in this room, for those that are watching online today. God, what you're about to do in here on South Dakota, we are grateful to be a part of. But God, there's also mixed emotions in this room. There's fear, there's anxiety, there's worry. Maybe there's anger. 
And God, I just pray that in the weeks ahead and in the months ahead that you guide us through any opposition that comes. God, whether opposition comes from the city, other businesses, God, just from the the circumstances of life, whether opposition comes from within or from without, God, help us to view it through the lens of Scripture. God, help us to welcome opposition in our lives and not allow it to turn into conflict. Holy Spirit, we need a total paradigm shift to begin to see our lives, our world, your church through your eyes in a way we never have before. Help us. God, we're about to enter into a season that we cannot do on our own. We need you. More than ever before, we recognize it and we ask you to come to be our provision, to be our help, to be our wisdom, to be our guide, to be what binds us together in a spirit of unity. God, help us in all that we set our hands to do, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys have been fantastic today. Thanks for not falling asleep on me. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being on this journey with us. In the weeks ahead, we'll talk more about it. But don't forget, tonight, trunk or treat. Four o'clock, we begin set up. Five o'clock, we start handing out candy. And so if you can be a part of that, we'd love to have you. Don't forget to stop by the table on your way out today. God bless you as you go.